Till I'm Tiptoed You Dot com The podcast about pop culture Black history and spirituality Yeah It's about to be a great vibe Dr. Tip Gonna take it away Till I'm Tiptoed You Hey y'all, hey, thank you for joining me for another edition of Tell Em Tip Told You. It's your girl Tip. I can't wait to get started today. I want to talk about Queen and Slim. <coughs> Excuse me. I am so excited about that film, but I also want to enter into the foray of people discussing the film and whether or not we can critique it. I also want to talk about uh, this a-hole George Zimmerman and his lawsuit he filed today. And I want to talk about Gabrielle Union, what she represents for other black women, and I want to talk about what it means to be called to be excellent and self-care. So let's just jump right in because I got a lot I want to cover and I don't want to hold you long. Let's just talk about the film Queen and Slim. So I went to go see it um, before I recorded this episode because I wanted to have an informed discussion about the film. There are people like there were before Harriet came out that are saying, don't go see this film. And just like I did with Harriet, I wanted to see for myself what all the hoopla was about. Now, if you've listened to my episode about Harriet, you know that I think that that was just an attempt to keep us from seeing our history. Uh, I do think you should go see Harriet. If you have not already done so, make sure you go. It is a beautifully done film. It is inspirational and motivational. And there are lies being spread about that film. No. It does not revolve around a black villain. Yes, there is a black villain in the movie. Um, And though he is fictional in in terms of there being an individual named Bigger Long, um, he does represent a reality. There were black bounty hunters in the plantocracy South. So people who are saying that that was made up, uh, not really. He is symbolic of a truth. Right. And then there are other people who had a problem with Marie being a fictional character. Well, there were people who risked their freedom to help other black folk. And that is a historical reality. So, yes, she's symbolic. um, And in that way, she's not completely fictional. So if you have avoided seeing Harriet because of that misinformation, let me be the first to tell you that it is misinformation. I do believe it was created um, by people like hashtag Eidos. Um, and without any foresight and insight into the real lived history, don't listen to the faux taps, go see the movie. All right. Now, the critique that is surrounding Queen and Slim is a little bit different for me. So I did want to see the film itself before I had this conversation with you. Let me say this. I don't want to give spoilers on this particular episode. I'm thinking about doing a Tell Em Tip Told You Live on Facebook as we've done in the past so that we can unpack the film together. And I'm thinking about doing that in a couple of weeks to give people time to go see the movie because I don't want to give the spoilers. I will try to be as general as I can in today's episode because I do want you to go see it. But let me just say there are legitimate critiques levied against this film. Let me tell you what they can't critique. The beauty of it. This film has got to be one of the most gorgeously recorded films I've ever seen in my life. 
the way the black skin of these characters pops on that big screen. I've never seen anything like it in my life. I mean, Moonlight. Okay, so if you remember the movie Moonlight, that's not that old. Um, it had the same kind of just visually striking images. Queen and Slim, I think, is a little, it pushes past that even. The way it's recorded, the, I mean, oh, the melanin, y'all, it's magical. <laughs> the images are magical. It's shot beautifully. And when we get a chance to unpack um, with the spoilers, we're going to talk about just water and how it's used both in Harriet and Queen and Slim in some spiritual ways that I think some of us might miss. So let me just give you the teaser that water has no enemy. Oh my gosh, that movie. Listen, it is beautiful. I can't even say that enough, y'all. It's gorgeous. And the skin. Oh my God, we are gorgeous creatures. All right. I just, oh my God, y'all go see this. Y'all got to go see it. And on top of the images just being beautiful, I can't recall a film in the contemporary period that has all the varied iterations of black love that this one has. It has the self-love, the familial love, the platonic love, the community love, and the romantic love. I mean, and all of it's nuanced. It's just the aesthetic of love. I just, I can't. Who I can't, I gotta go see it again just because the film itself is just, I mean, you could turn off the sound and watch that shit. <laughs> it's gorgeous. Um, I can't say that enough. And again, I don't know that we get to see that kind of love on the big screen often, right? And not just the romantic love of it, but just the, com it's a scene in the film where they're in a juke joint. And when I tell you that is, y'all know I feel, how I feel about being Southern. I'm so happy Southern. But it's something about that film that made me proud of who I was, that, that clip. And um, speaking of that, the music that is used to push the images um, or to complement the images is diasporic in nature. Like there's all kinds of black music used. And I, I'm just reminded of that. What was Jill Scott even talking about in that clip? She was talking about a movie or a concert or something. I can't remember. Y'all know my memory's bad. But it's a, it's a clip that sometimes people put on Instagram and Facebook of Jill Scott saying it was just black. Black, black, blackity, black. That's how I feel about this movie. It's just gorgeously black, right? So go see it. Now, even though I'm telling you to go see it, let me tell you that some of the critiques I've read about the film are spot on. Lena Waithe has some issues with being black. I, I did not recognize them before. But in her interviews surrounding this film and in the casting call written for this film, there is some problematic language that's used. And because that problematic language is used, I can support people who critique the ending. I think the ending was hella lazy. I think, I think it, the, the film felt rushed at the end. And I think the way she chose to end this beautifully done story was trifling. Now, let me tell you why I think that. If you listen to this podcast for any length of time, you've heard me talk about one of my very, very, I can't even talk, one of my very favorite episodes, Kylie, uh, one of my very favorite essays ever is Okot Pivotex, The Artist, The Ruler. Okay, 
In that essay, Pibitek suggests that it is not a politician, it is not a priest. It is the artist that rules a society because the artist introduces the ideas that give motivation and inspiration to the people, right? They introduce ideas that can be used to innovate, right? It's just, uh, find the essay, read it, okay? I am partial to that ideology that the artist has a particularly critical role in the management and maintenance of a community. And because I believe that, I believe that people like Lena Waithe and other artists have a responsibility to the community. Now, I'm not just putting all the responsibility on artists. If you know me, you know I believe black teachers have a particular responsibility to the people. Black um, health care workers have a particular responsibility to, to the community. I think black ritual specialists and priests and preachers have a particular responsibility to the people. So I'm not just putting it all on artists, but I'm saying artists have a role in society. I agree with Okot Pipitek that they are the rulers of society. And because I believe that, I believe that she should have been more careful in how she chose to end the film. It, it reinforces some negative stereotypes that already exist within our community. All right, I, I agree with that critique. I also believe that an artist's responsibility in times of turmoil is to promote hope among the people. And I don't think she did that with this film. I don't think she did it with this film because of the ending, right? She could have chosen to end it a different way. And if she had ended it a different way, I think the film would have been damn near perfect, right? Now there's some here, there little tidbit things that I think, you know, Tiffany would tweak if Tiffany were the filmmaker, but Tiffany ain't the filmmaker. But I think she, she, um, as all of us are, should be open and available for critique. I don't think anybody is above critique. And I think this film is a beautiful place to have a complex, complicated conversation that is much needed in our community about love, about activism, because that's the other thing I have a problem with in this film. And I'm trying not to, to give the spoilers away is how activism is treated. It's treated as accidental. And I know to me today, the day I'm recording is December 4th. It's the, it's Fred Hampton, right? We, we think about Fred Hampton on today. And because we think about him and honor him, we think about the sacrifices that many of our activists have made on behalf of the people, right? It's not accidental. And this film to me makes, um, the, the struggle for, um, let me just going to be clear. I think it is because she never, she does not name it the Black Lives Matter movement. It is clear that the movement in the film is in response to police brutality. The real life complementary movement would be the Black Lives Matter movement. And I think the way she paints it in the film makes it seem accidental and incident, reactionary. It's not, right? Activists, real activists, are neither accidental nor are they reactionary. And I think she missed the mark on that. It is clear to me that there probably were not activists in the room when she was writing, nor did she have conversations with them about what that might look like. I think that piece of the film was a little sloppy in addition to the ending. But here's the thing. We deserve to have those conversations. 
But you can't have an informed conversation about this film without seeing it. I don't think you can. I don't think you can. I, I think the critique of the ending, like I said, black folk deserve to be happy and we deserve to see happy on the big screen. We don't get to see that in this film. We see glimpses of what freedom might look like. We never see it actualized. This is why I like Harriet. We saw it in Harriet. We see freedom in Harriet. We, we don't see freedom here. And I don't know how intentional that was or if it's just an afterthought for her. But because of the, the current lived environment we are in, I think it is irresponsible not to show freedom. I'm just going to leave it there because I don't want to get into the spoilers. I do want to say something, though, about this. It, it is a line from the film, and I hope I don't spoil anything for anybody with it. There's a line in the film where one of the protagonists says to the other, um, black people don't have to be excellent all the time. And I understand that sentiment. There is an article that's floating around now that talks about is being twice as good killing black people or something like that. And I think both what Lena does with the character's line in the film and that article, what they do is get they misunderstand what we mean when we talk about black excellence and what we mean when we say you have to be twice as good to get half as much. What we're saying is by nature, you are excellent. Not that you have to perform excellence, but that your very nature is excellent. When you live up to your real life potential, and I'm not just talking about the movie, I'm talking about you listening, me, Tiffany talking. When we live up to our full realized potential, we are excellent. You don't have to manufacture excellence for yourself. You just got to step into your purpose, right? And I think we both the character in the film misses that and that article about being twice as good misses it. When we talk about being twice as good to get half as much, we are acknowledging the way the system is set up against our excellence. We are not saying that we have to be twice as good to measure up to white people. That's the misunderstanding. That is not what that phrase means. What the phrase means is there's, there are obstacles that will work against your excellence, not that your excellence does not exist. All right. I just, I just had to go there because that line, that one line made my teeth itch. Like I was like, what the we are excellent. We don't have to try. We don't manufacture that. It's not artificial. It's not performed. It is not an act. It is us walking fully 100% in our purpose. Now, a lot of us ain't walking in that purpose or we're doing it half-assed. In that case, we're not lazy. I mean, in that case, we're not excellent. But I'm saying when you are fully in your role, in your purpose, in your walk and not trying to emulate somebody else's walk, then you're excellent. Anyway, let me get off that. So I talked about how I think in the middle of the contemporary period, um, Waith owed us a glimpse of freedom. Let me, let me tell you why I believe that. Today, George, it's in the news right now, breaking two hours ago or something. George Zimmerman is filing a lawsuit against Trayvon Martin's family for $100 million. Let me remind you that he got off. He ain't do no, he got off, right? It was declared self-defense what he did. He got, he still got the nerve to be harassing this black family because he's an idiot and a murderer and a loser. He's filing, he, he's trying to say they lied on him, okay? But I want you to think about 
And he's got a high profile attorney who is a white nationalist. Okay. I want you to think about what that does to the black psyche that of the person that's paying attention to the big picture. I texted one of my girlfriends when the, the headline came on, who is in law school. Um, and all I could say to her, I sent the link to the article and I just typed back, I'm tired. I want us to be clear. I want us to recall what James Baldwin says about being black. James Baldwin says to be black in America and, and be relatively conscious is to live in a constant state of rage. And I want to remind us that that rage is not healthy. Now, there are righteous uses of anger. Audre Lorde tells us that, right? So the rage can be directed in some very beautifully powerful ways. However, what it does to the human body to be under constant stress as we are is dangerous. It is dangerous. And if it is not strategically met with radical self-care, um, many of us could be killing ourselves. And maybe that's what Waith is, anyway. Again, I don't want to get into the spoilers. But I, I, let's just, let, let me just go from Zimmerman to Gabrielle Union. Gabrielle Union got fired from a famous television, I don't know how famous it is, but a television show recently because she um, had been outspoken against some racist and sexist things that had been said in her presence. Um, and then it came out that she had been critiqued for having um, hairstyles that were too black and all this other kind of stuff. And it helped shine a light on what many black women face in the workplace, right? Many of us are in the position to overhear things, to be the victim of microaggressions about our own um, physical embodiments of blackness. I mean, it's just what black folk face on a daily. Gabrielle Union's story is a microcosm of it. And what troubles me and what adds to my stress is if they could do that, if they could fire someone of her stature and of her visibility, what is happening to the black woman Walmart worker? What's happening to the black woman cashier at the grocery store? What's happening to the black woman at Wendy's when they overhear these same kinds of conversations and try to speak up against them? If it happens to Gabrielle, you, you know what's happening to us. And again, that kind of lived stress that you can't, you can't even speak up for yourself, right? That there is part of you that has to be silent to eat, to keep a job, right? This is why I'm so glad that there is booming entrepreneurialism in the black community right now, because we have to be self-sufficient and self-determined. It's, it's not a question anymore. Go back and listen to the last episode where I talk about how Kaepernick gave us a model for it. We have to be self-determined and self-sufficient. But as we are working to establish those alternative systems of employment, we also have to be thinking about how do we protect ourselves and mediate um, our health in a system that seeks to destroy us. Literally, we are being consumed by, this, by the U.S. culture, by white supremacy. We've been consumed by it. So what do we do with the stress? Because I am here to tell you, I forgot to take my blood pressure pill this morning. I got to go take it when I finish this, right? Because I've got high blood pressure, I've got 
this, I've got that because of stress, right? I'm an emotional eater. <laughs> Just there are all kinds of ways that self that black people are self-medicating because it is hard to be black right now. If we admit to the fear, if we admit to the anxiety around our employability, around our ability to pay, nobody wants to be in debt. There aren't many people who just don't pay bills because they don't want to. Usually it's because they can't. And that causes the kind of anxiety and stress that comes from being black, and especially black women in a patriarchal, sexist, capitalist society. It can kill you. You can be eaten. And so our self-care... Our self-care in the face of all of this has to be intentional and it has to be disciplined. We have to levy our self-care in strategic ways. One of those ways I chose to practice some self-care this week is to go see Queen and Slim because it it did allow for a temporary release, right? Again, the images are beautiful, so it allowed me to imagine things things. I think the ending could have been a little bit more powerful to help me imagine even other things, (laughs) but it did help me imagine some things. We need to be here. So let me just give you some things I think we should be doing to protect ourselves. Number one is creating community. If you are already, if you're not already in a friendship circle with people who understand the world in the ways that you do, seek them out now. You need people you can release with. You need people you can vent with um, and vent to. You need people who will, you don't have to say a whole lot. You can go sit by some water, you know, like a lake or a beach or a creek or something. Um, You need people who will pray for you and with you. You need people who um, who will hold you to a standard of excellence. And so I think one of the first things, again, for self-care is to look for and create community. I also think it's important um, for self-care is to spend time alone in quiet meditation. It's hard for a lot of us. If you're a mother, if you're um, a physician where you have crazy hours, if you work in two or three jobs, if if you're a hustler trying to make your business work, It may feel like you're wasting time to give yourself two or three minutes a day just to daydream and meditate or just lay still. But you need to do that to tap into your higher self, um, to hear from spirit if spirit is trying to communicate with you and just to rest like this nap ministry movement. I'm all for it, baby. I live for a good nap. 20 minutes and I'm brand new. Right. We need that daily alone time, quiet time, um, because that's what we're built for. We need physical activity. We need to be in the sun walking or running or swimming daily. That's what we're built for. So part of that community, let it be somebody you can do those things with. And if you can't find it, let that be your alone time. This week, it it was cold yesterday, right? But this week, if I don't do anything else, I walk around my building for, you know, I, I work for a couple of hours. I get up, I walk around the building. Come back to the office now. Right. But we have to be more intentional about getting that sun, about getting that movement in to counteract some of this stress. Right. We need good sleep. Um, I was talking to a partner, my partner, 
the other night because you cannot subsist. You cannot exist in your 100% wellness if you're only getting three or four hours of sleep a night. You just can't. Your body can't. You may feel like you're functioning at 100%. You're not. You're doing, there are parts of your body, there are hormones and things like that, that need that rest to replicate cells, to keep your organs functioning at top capacity. You need rest. So get your sleep, right? We need to monitor what we're ingesting. And I'm not just talking about food, right? We do need to watch what we're eating with the food, but what television shows are you taking in? What music uh, messages are you hearing on a daily basis? I've, I've turned more towards audiobooks and podcasts now. And anybody tells you I love music, I still listen to good music. But it is balanced now with some other kinds of stuff. I'm being intentional about that because I need the release. Now, this next one, I don't know how you feel about it, but you need some good sex. Sex is a release. And if it's used the right way, it's magical. <laughs> Literally, right? Um, but sometimes we just need the release. Find a way to relax. Sex is relaxing and you burn calories. It's a workout, so you're getting the physical activity in. Don't be no prude. Get your song, girl. Get your song, boy. Get your song, people. All right. Um, but those are just some simple strategies that I want you to invest in with the self-care because we do it. We have to be strategic. We need to schedule it. We need to be as protective around that time as we are around the time we give other people. That's one of my pet peeves about humans, particularly black women. We give so much to other people that we don't have anything left to give ourselves. We got to do for self first. And, and for many of us, that seems selfish. It's not. I cannot give 100% to someone else if I haven't put back what I've spent on other people. Does that make sense? Like if I want to give you 100%, but I just spent 75% on him, I got to put back the 75% before I can give to you, right? So the selfishness, what appears to be selfishness is me just replenishing my cup so I can give to somebody else. Self-care is not selfish. It's a revolutionary act because they are out here trying to kill us, literally, literally. To that end, if you have an Instagram account starting um, Sunday, I believe Sunday is the December 8th. Yes. Sunday, December 8th at 3 o'clock on Instagram Live, I will be doing a three-part series on self-care. And so this Sunday, December 8th, 2019, at 3 o'clock p.m., the first module will be Af Principles of African-Centered Self-Care. So if you're interested in joining me for that, then come on over to Instagram. My handle on Instagram is TiffanyDPhD. And let's go. If you just search for the hashtag, tell them to tell you to bring you to my account. And, you know, just make sure you're there. You got your notifications turned turn on for the page and join me for that series. I think I have covered everything I wanted to cover today. Go get you some love. Be some love. Do some love. Make some love. Have a good day, y'all. 
Tell them Tip Tells You. Today's episode is brought to you by the Freshman Boot Camp. The Freshman Boot Camp is a course designed to help first-year freshmen make the successful transition into college life. Check out more at www.thefreshmanbootcamp.com.